Please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. Children have been flipping through Exodus these last couple of days, and we've reached a major turning point in our study of the book of Exodus, this major event in God's redemptive story. Remember, when we started Exodus in chapter 1, the people of Israel are in Egypt. They've been in Egypt for over 400 years. Remember that God brought Joseph through some pretty difficult, unusual circumstances into the land of Egypt, and the rest of the family followed when there was a famine in the land, all of Jacob's family. And a lot can happen, and does happen, in 400 years. The people of Israel grow, uh, they flourish in the land, just as God promised that they would. And then, what happens? New leadership. The new Pharaoh on the throne, who just sees the people as a threat. And so he treats them harshly, ruthlessly, uh, enslaving the people. But Egypt is all that the people have ever known. Their forefathers, the patriarchs, they, they came into the land as God had promised, but that was a long, long time ago. Um, but now the time has come for the people to leave the land of Egypt. So here is the exodus, uh, the beginning of their wilderness wandering. The Lord has warned of this coming death. Uh, he's made provision for his own through the blood of the Lamb. So we're going to read in Exodus chapter 12, beginning at verse 29, and we'll go through verse 42. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt to this same night. It is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. This is God's word to his people. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Lord, it's, it is you just baby talking to us in a way that we can understand. Lord, we pray that this word that we have read, that you would use to work in our hearts, 
deeper love for you, desire to follow you in obedience. Lord, we can't do this on our own. We need your help to understand this word. And we need you to work it into our hearts. We ask that you would do that now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Sometimes we're sad and even appalled by some of the cruelty, cruel intentions uh, we see around us. It should sadden us all the time when we see or hear acts of cruelty. young man in Florida, he was having a bad day. He went home and got into a dispute with some of his family members. And so he determined that he was going to solicit help to take out a family member, uh, to hire a hitman. And so he, he made all the plans. And sure enough, a few days later, someone volunteered to do this. It happened to be an undercover detective. But he had, gave this person a map and a weapon and a key to the apartment and very explicit instructions. Among those instructions was, in the cover-up of this event, don't damage the TV. Take the life, but not the TV. Perhaps more of a commentary on our time than I have time to go into. But you think, how cruel is this? How could someone even... I just think about this, but go through with something like this. And when we read a passage like we've just read, you know, it sort of hits our modern ears this way. You know, this is harsh. This is cruel. You know, is the Lord some divine hitman here, just ready to take out the unsuspecting? And let's be honest, this, this would be cruel if people like you and people like me were making the judgment. If, if it's your standard and, and my standard of what's right and holy that decides who stands or falls. And we, we forget or we ignore the reality that we are image bearers of God, that we are creatures. And yet this, this world is a nasty place. If we go back to Genesis 3, when we put ourselves in the place of God. This is why the Holocaust under a Nazi regime is such an atrocity. It's why the, the genocide of all the, the civilians in, in Syria, all the Sunni civilians, the rise of massacres in Nigeria under the Boko Haram, countless children were um, murdered in the womb because they're not wanted or there'd be an inconvenience, or it would require you know, special care. Okay? This, we, we do not live in absolute purity and righteousness and holiness. And so we cannot administer that type of a standard. But God can and He does. He's the Creator. He is holy. He is righteous and just. And so we need to remember as we read a passage like this that there are no innocents in Egypt. Not among the Egyptians, not among the people of Israel living in Goshen. And so rather than submitting to the Lord, who has demonstrated over and over again that He is Lord over those gods, those little g gods in Egypt, instead of submitting to His will, Pharaoh and most of the people have rejected Him. They're going to continue to worship the gods that they can control and appease. And if they can do that, then they're bowing to themselves. They will decide who lives or dies, but not on this night. 
Every house that is not covered by the blood of the Lamb will learn of the just wrath and judgment of God who always does right. This is a righteous judgment against rebellion against Him. We know that the Egyptians deserved it. All humanity, we know what we deserve. Yet we see the mercy of God. We see His mercy on display even here as He claims the life of just the firstborn. He is merciful and He is just. He shows all the people in Egypt their great need of His saving grace. So what we view as harsh, as perhaps cruel, unnecessary, this is the Lord showing that He is Lord and we are not. He sees and knows what we do not. He has a holiness and a purity and a goodness that we do not. He's infinitely wise and worthy of worship. And I want us to see the four themes that you see up on these boards. I'm standing in front of one of them, but we're going to see these four themes that our children have discovered in their case in this text, uh, along with a few others, but um, drawing out our primary application from the word the, the Lord demanded of Pharaoh and what he finally concedes to in verse 31. Go, serve the Lord as you have said. And so the angel of the Lord moves throughout the land of Egypt. Death comes to the firstborn between the families and extended families and the animals all in the same house. Uh, that would have left very few, if any, that were untouched uh, by this. Um, and we know that the people of Israel have cried out to the Lord for help under oppression. And it's the same word now used of the Egyptians in this wailing with the death of the firstborn. We see how that has turned. Certainly not a lot of sleep uh, happening that night. There's fear, there's anxiety. Where will this strike come? What will happen next? The people of Israel who trusted in that blood on the door, they also have to wait under that blood. This, as this terror spread through the night. So Pharaoh sends word to Moses. Uh, Moses and Aaron in the early morning hours. He's not going to kill Moses like he said he was going to do the next time that they came together. But he demands that the people leave Egypt. These are all commands here. Up, go, go, serve. Almost like Pharaoh was still trying to call the shots. Like he's still in control. But we know he is not in control at all. Um, and then, you know, if, if Pharaoh is willing to do this, maybe he thinks some good, some divine reward can come from it. Bless me also. But he doesn't fear the Lord. He has not repented. He doesn't want to know God. He wants simply relief uh, from these circumstances. So the people of Egypt, they follow suit, literally pushing, driving the people out uh, as the day breaks. You know, I think of summertime and those fire ant hills. Some of you have those in your yard. What happens when you stand next to a fire ant hill in your flip-flops? You're, you're doing this next, right? The fire ant dance. Get these things away from me as fast as possible. Here's, here's the, the people. They're, they're, they're being pushed out. The people are, are getting ready to, to send them out any way that they can, whatever they have to do to rid themselves of the Israelites. And the people are dressed. They're ready to go. They've packed. So there's no delay between the Passover and the very first opportunity they had to leave. So this would have been the, the following morning, the same day in context. So they grab the bread, uh, stuff to make more bread, uh, along with the wealth of, 
the Egyptian neighbors who have willingly uh, turned that over to them. To them. Um, and we're not sure where these locations actually are of Ramses and Succoth, um, but we know that they're moving east, southeast out of uh, Egypt in the wilderness of Sinai. And this is everybody, men, women, children, all the animals, Israelites and non-Israelites who've decided that this, this is the way of safety. This is the only hope for us. If we go with the Israelites, we tend to forget that. This is, this is before the whole wilderness wandering. This is before they're mixing with the people in Canaan. We've got a mixed ethnic group, likely Egyptians, other other slaves in Egypt who had gone with them. This is a very diverse group. Uh, I think of the words of Ruth in Ruth chapter 1. Remember, Ruth was a Moabite, and she speaks to Naomi, uh, her mother-in-law, who was an Israelite. And so the, the people who are, who are leaving Egypt are, are doing this by their actions, if not with their words. Listen to what Ruth said. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. That's what these people are saying as they leave. This is the multitude that leaves as the host of the Lord. I love that military term there. These are the armies of the Lord uh, that are leaving with the spoils of war. And the actual uh, number of people that left Egypt is a great discussion. It centers around the word that we have there. Uh, in verse 37, the word for thousand is a wide range of, of meaning, and there are several very faithful interpretations of that in context. Uh, but God has delivered his people just as he promised. They're no longer slaves, but free to worship uh, and to serve him. The Christian, set free from slavery, slavery of our sin through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our deliverer, as the children have just reminded us of and recited from Psalm 18. He is the lamb that was sacrificed for us so that when we do feel anxious, when we are fearful about what the rest of this day holds, about what tomorrow holds, I mean, think the people of Israelites in Goshen that night, we look at the blood. The blood of Jesus is the guarantee of our salvation. We can rest in that. God sees the blood. He, he says to the prophet, we, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, on Christ, the iniquity of us all. That's his grace. Delivering a people who cannot deliver themselves. Saving a people who cannot save themselves, who don't even have a desire to save themselves as those dead in sin. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive, set us free in Christ. We often think of this freedom as that one-way street. It's a freedom from something, from constraint, from the law. It's a freedom from oppression. It is those things, but the Bible places much more emphasis on our freedom for something. For worship. A freedom for His glory. A freedom for obedience. So freedom is not just this, this one way to throw off all restraint. It's, it's a different way. And we're going to serve someone. We'd like to 
in our sin. We'd like to throw off all restraint, but we can't live that way. So the Exodus shows us a freedom from one master to a new master. And when we're living for the right master, a master who is good and holy and wise, then we want to serve. We want to worship. We belong to Him. I think you made this confession in worship last week. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. There is nothing more freeing, church. Nothing more freeing in this whole world than to know that you belong to Christ and can serve Him. No longer slave to your sin, but a slave to righteousness. Go and serve the Lord. The people are dressed, they're packed, they're ready to move. And when it's time to move, they, they, they go quickly. And I want, to, want us to consider this posture in our own faith journey. We need to be quick to repent. We need to be ready to flee temptation before it actually conceives and gives birth to sin. Don't wait around to see what happens when that temptation comes. Peter tells us that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And if you're playing around by the lion's den, you're going to get hurt. And that someone is you. He'll waste no opportunity to divert your gaze or to change your stride from following Christ as master to someone else. It doesn't matter who or what, as long as it's not Christ. Resist Him. Stand firm in the faith. God knows what it is we need. And that moves us to our, our next theme. Hoping these will be a little shorter. We'll see. God delivers His people who are dependent upon Him. Where do you see it? See here in verse 36. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. So here's a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham much earlier in Genesis 15. The people would come out of Egypt with great possessions. And he says it again in Exodus chapter 3. It reminded me when I left my duty station in Colorado, before leaving the office, they decided that they were going to have a going away lunch for me and one other gentleman who was leaving. And they, they knew me pretty well. One of the guys, uh, just a few cubes down from where I was working, I knew him so well that I've forgotten his name. Um, he kept a bottle of hot sauce in his overhead compartment at his desk. And though I rarely add hot sauce to my meals, I, I would often take leftovers and, and go to his desk and say, can I, can I borrow your hot sauce? And he said, sure, no problem. So I'd use hot sauce. Well, this happened often enough where he said, you know what, Brad, it's right there. Just come and get it when you need it. And so at this going away lunch, I'm, I'm sitting there and he comes up, taps me on the shoulder and says, Brad, it's been real. We're going to miss you. You're going to need this before you go. And he puts a bottle of hot sauce down in front of me. And a couple minutes later, somebody else came up and said, hey, Brad, we're going to miss you. You know, and you're going to need this. Put down a bottle of hot sauce. And so before the end of the meal, I had at least a dozen different bottles of hot sauce sitting in front of me. They knew me well. It was a great farewell gift, right? And so whether, the, whether by demand or request, the Israelites have all the hot sauce they need for this trip. This is a, this is, they have a stash of farewell gifts uh, for this journey by the hand of the Lord. And they don't, they don't know it yet, but they're going to need this wealth. Uh, they're going to need it for trade. They're going to need it for a tabernacle later on. 
This is going to be a much longer journey than any of them uh, can foresee as they scramble out of Egypt. Um, the Lord lo- knows their needs. He provides. He'll provide food and water in the wilderness. Um, what will the people do? Will they respond to this? Will they depend depend on Him and His provision? Will they trust Him for their needs? The Lord Jesus is our provision. He is our greatest provision. And Paul says in Philippians 4 that, that God the Father will meet all our needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. If He did not deliver, if, if He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? That's Romans 8. Our God is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. We must look to Him as such. He's going to provide what we need when we need it. Not necessarily what we want when we want it. He loves us too much for that. Our Heavenly Father will provide what we need, whether we recognize that need, because He is compassionate. His steadfast love endures forever. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. Those gifts of necessity, those gifts of abundance, we have both. Pressed down, spilling over in the Lord Jesus. So God delivers His people, they're dependent on Him, and He gives them direction. Verse 35. Sure, I got that. Yep, verse 35. People of Israel had also done as Moses told them. They had asked uh, the Egyptians for these things. So the Lord had given them very clear direction through Moses. He's going to continue to direct them in the wilderness. Mount Sinai, He will continue to direct them through the words of the prophets. If the people are going to live, if they're going to worship and obey, then they must receive God's Word, His direction to them. How can a young man keep his way pure? Children, we just said that, right? By guarding it according to your Word. We see in verse 42 as well, at the very end of of what we read, the people have been instructed to remember this event. They will remember this as as a night of watching for generations to come. So they have to know this instruction and pass it along for that to happen. The Lord Jesus is the living Word and He directs us. This Word's been given, the very heart of God transcribed in the Bible that you hold in your hands. It's breathed out by God, carries His authority. It will teach us, it will correct us, encourage us, warn us, so that we can go about our days living as we've been made to live. Folks, we have no greater treasure than this Word. If you have to get out of the house, you have to get out in a hurry, make sure the family's out, but grab your Bible and run. Say, well, Brad, we can always buy a new Bible. I get that. But the point is one of value, right? One of need. I mean, after hearing me say that, do you think you would do that? Of all the things you have, do you think you'd grab your Bible? Do you think you'd miss it that much? Do you think you'd need it that much? Um, I, think, I think if we're honest, we go through our days and we probably don't even have to open our Bible, right? Maybe a testament to the church at large uh, now. We want to know how to worship. We want to know how to serve our Master. What God expects of His children how to view the world around us, and we need to store up His Word in our hearts. Um, 
Finally, the people of God, they need him to dwell among them. They need to know that he is in their midst. I'm kind of blocking this sign here. I'll, I'll move it over here. Uh, and now you can't see it anyway because it fell down. But um, yeah. Lord Jesus is our provision. Um, yeah, we see, uh, kind of lost what I was talking about here for a second. Um, so 400 years, where's God been the last 400 years? On vacation? Out to lunch? No, He's been there. He's been present with the people. He's been near, though they could not comprehend it at the time. We get, a, we get a sense of his, of his presence, of His dwelling with the people. Again, in verse 42, it was a night of watching for the Lord. Okay, he's on, picture him, He's on the lookout to make sure that this exodus, that the people are moving according to plan. These are His people. He knows them as a nation. He knows them as clans. He knows them as families. He knows them as individuals. He's going to go before them. The clouds, presence filling the cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, right there with them, standing between his people and their enemies. And later in the wilderness, God himself, he's going to camp to fill the tabernacle uh, with his presence. Jesus, the living word, did what? He, he tabernacled. Right? He dwelt among us. I know Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, He continues to dwell among His people. So how does He do this? He tells His disciples, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. How would He be with them? John tells us with these words of Jesus, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Christ is here in our midst. He's in you by the Spirit. Continually reminding those of faith that we are children of the Heavenly Father. Continually showing us the beauty of Christ. The beauty of the Gospel. Go and Serve the Lord as you have said. Church family, it's right there. Right there we have the power to do that. The power to serve the Lord, it's found in our union with Jesus. Not your discipline. Not your willpower, how strong you, you feel your faith is at the moment. It's Christ. Jesus is our life and His Spirit fills us and convicts us and moves us. To look upon Him. To delight in Him. Oh, the more, the more we delight in Jesus, the more we walk with Him as our Master. So it really is all about Jesus. I think I said last week it was all about the blood. But I'm safe there. Because the blood and Jesus go together. Our deliverance, our dependence, our direction, our dwelling is Jesus and through Jesus. We have life in Jesus because He gave His life for us. We're freed from the slavery of our sin for worship and obedience to Him. The joy of our souls is Jesus. We, we want to leave Egypt, right? 
We want to leave that sin behind. We want to serve this new master because he is the one that we love. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for pressing in these truths through your word. Lord, as we see your people leave Egypt, it's our desire to to leave our sin, to leave the old way behind and to look to you to serve our new master. Lord, we thank you that you are our deliverer. Lord Jesus, we are dependent upon you. We have this living word to direct us and it is you who dwells in us. We praise you, Lord. Grow our delight in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.